Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these children that have depicted uh, really what truly is to be in our hearts, which is commenting, worshiping you, Lord. Worshiping you. Come into the world to save us. And so, Lord, may my words be of you this night. May they speak of your glory, of your hope, of your joy. Come, Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, as Stan mentioned, uh, it's such a joy for me to be able to be here preaching as this is St. Timothy Cathedral's first Christmas Eve, and I really, really am thankful for it. You know, with every passing year, um, I would think that the story of uh, the Lord's birth uh, would become just familiar. I would think it would just become, but for me, for me, it becomes intensively more significant every year. Maybe, I guess, because I know how much I need it, how much I need him to have come into the world for you, for me. The divine became human. The infinite became finite. The eternal became temporal. But not only that, that that your broken relationship with God, my broken relationship with God, was repaired. That it was restored in the person and the work of Jesus. That it was put back together and made right when Jesus became one of us. Walked and died. I don't know about you, but do you ever find yourself realizing how silly it is that we just seem to always be in awe of God? Silly, because of course we're in awe of God. Of course we're in awe. And yet I fall out of habit of being in awe all the time. You know, life gets busy. Even church gets busy. But this is a night that we come and we're in awe. We're in awe that a holy God would come into an unholy world, but even more importantly, that a holy God would come into our unholy lives because of how much he loves us, how much he wants us, how much he desires us in his life and we in his. The awe and and wonderment of Christmas. And I'm afraid sometimes at least too many of us reduce it to what I would describe as a Norman Rockwell painting, which is cozy, warm, feeling great, hearth, fire, et cetera, et cetera. And yet it's so much more. But those Norman Rockwell paintings which I realize I'm dating myself and a few of us here who even know who that is. One of the reasons we like those is because they're a lot safer. They're a lot easier for us to handle than to handle the incarnation of a holy God into the filth of not only a filthy stable, but into the filth of sometimes my life your life. For years I have mentioned that I know that 
tis the season can be hard for some of you because you're maybe missing people or your life is in pain right now. And for many years I have said that I hope that the Christmas joy and peace would come to you. But having just buried my hero of a dad just a month ago, I am more empathetic about what it means to be a Christmas missing and hurting than I ever have been. All last week, I had the remembrance of being a child at St. Patrick's Cathedral in El Paso, Texas, where I grew up at midnight mass on Christmas Eve with my dad. Dad was the one who always made sure we went to church every Sunday. He was certainly the one who made sure we got the reserve tickets in order to go to midnight mass. The reserve tickets. I always wondered why you had to reserve a ticket. Because as a child, I didn't realize the hundreds and hundreds of people that were sitting out there. I just saw the manger. You see, Dad would always make sure that we got there early enough that we went and spent a long time praying in front of the manger. And then we would turn around and we would go and sit down in the same seats we sat down in almost every single Sunday, the same seat that my grandmother had gone to daily mass her entire life. And I would get to what I thought was the best seats in the house. I would get to just stare at the manger scene right in front of me. As a young child, the figures in the manger seemed life-size. Mary's rosy cheeks and the rosy cheeks of the baby Jesus. I wanted to just touch them. Even the camels and the sheep almost seemed to be really looking at the holy child and the holy family. And I promise you, the Christ child seemed like he was looking straight at you when you knelt in front of him. When I got older, those eyes really seemed to look straight at me. The manger at St. Patrick's was always set up to the left of the large altar in the large nave of this large church. Right there to the left, right in front of our seats. It wasn't until years later that I connected the dots. They always placed that manger scene right under the large, rather graphic crucifix that hung on the pillar of the cathedral every Sunday. It was in that same pew on the left-hand side right in front of that large pillar that I came to the Lord as a 17-year-old, that I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, not on Christmas Eve, just on a Wednesday service in the middle of just basically normal, ordinary time. But those eyes that Jesus on that crucifix, I feel, looked straight at me. And they seem to look at me with both pain 
and deep, deep love. And I didn't realize until years later that the priests who were all Franciscans, the priests purposely put the manger scene underneath the crucifix so that we never separated them even if they didn't point it out in their sermons which a lot of times weren't very good sermons but they connected that for me anyway and I realized we cannot ever separate it perhaps you know the old European tradition that in Christmas trees in Europe, they will either hammer a nail into the trunk of the tree or they will have a nail hanging as an ornament somewhere on the tree to tell us we can never separate what Jesus came to do. But we miss it sometimes. We miss this point. We miss this connection. We miss that Good Friday and Christmas Eve are connected. One of the reasons is that we, we do like to sentiment, be very sentimental about Christmas. It's a wonderful sentimental time. Not so easy to be sentimental about Good Friday. In fact, I like to say that we get filled at Christmas with too much sentimental sugar. Or as my grandmother used to say in North Carolina, sugar. And I'm not talking about the cookies or the cakes. And, and believe it or not, I keep telling Tricia that I do not like carrots and celery and ranch dressing as much as I do my sister-in-law's pralines. I'm not talking about that kind of sugar. I'm talking about the kind of sugar that we like to see Christmas in a Christmas card or in our favorite movie. Now, now, I'm with you. I mean, I'm one of the first guys. I'm waiting for It's a Wonderful Life. I'm waiting for the bells of St. Mary's. I'm waiting even for Charlie Brown's Christmas. I'm waiting for Rudolph. I'm waiting for Dickens' Christmas Carol. I'm waiting for White Christmas, Home Alone. I will even wait for love, actually. <laughs> as my Christmas focus, because I love to get sentimental as well. And experiencing the sugary sentimentality of Christmas is not a bad thing in itself. But it's when we limit it to that. John the Evangelist writes in his first letter, I am writing you, he says, about he who existed from the beginning about what we have heard what we have seen with our own eyes what we have looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life the one who existed even before the beginning of the world yes even the Christ even the life This life manifested and we have seen and testify and declare to you the life. 
What John is referring to here is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't come to just give you a better life, though he promises abundant life. He came to give himself because he is life. And without him, anything that you think is life is a a mere shadow. Without you knowing him personally in a relationship with him, whatever you think is life and whatever you think is glorious in life and whatever you think is glorious in marriage and whatever you think is glorious in in your family is but a mere shadow if it is not in the middle of him. Jesus. For he was made visible to us, John says. And what we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with him. A life with him. I've already had one Christmas Eve service today. It was three hours long. I had the incredible honor of going to worship with several hundred inmates at Polonsky Prison, one of the highest security prisons in the state of Texas. And I need to say to you, friends, there in the midst of hundreds of them, worshiping, praising, glorifying the Lord, praising the Lord Jesus in ways that I have, I have rarely seen in my life. And as I watched them worship, I realized that they knew what John was talking about because I knew that they have come to see him too. They have come to know him as well. In spite of the fact that they live in these very small spaces. In spite of the fact that most of them will never see outside that prison again. And yet, they know the Lord Jesus and the joy he brings and the freedom he brings. And I heard stories of addicts being healed, and I heard stories of lives being changed. I heard stories of marriages being changed, even marriages that are outside the prison. And all because of these men having come to receive that the life had come into the world so that they might come to know him. I don't know what kind of life you're looking for tonight. I do know this. 
I saw today brothers in the Lord Jesus who have come to know the abundant life Jesus has promised in spite of their circumstances, forgiven for their sins, restored into a relationship with God. And don't we all desire that? My prayer for you this night on Christmas Eve. I don't know what your image of Jesus' face is, the Christ child's face is. Mine is a, a very rosy-cheeked, probably Italian-painted Jesus. But I know this, when I looked into his eyes as a child, and then later as a 17-year-old, I came to realize I could look into his eyes any day anywhere, no matter what, if I would just let myself. And so maybe as you come to communion tonight, as you put your hands out and what I like to say, make a throne for Jesus, ask God to give you a picture a picture of his son looking at you with the pleasure he has in you. The pleasure he has in you no matter what you've done in your life. No matter how far away you feel from him right now. The pleasure he has in you and the desire he has to just hold you. That will be my prayer for you tonight as you come to communion. Lord Jesus, I, I ask a special blessing on this night for every individual, every family, every marriage in this room right now. I pray, Lord, especially for those perhaps who have never come to know you, They've heard of you. They may even be investigating about you. Or I pray, Lord, for those who might be running away from you like I did for so many years. Draw us close to you this night, Lord. Let us look into your eyes and see your love. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.